What's up, Chicago? I'm Erin Allen, and this is The Rundown. The most hellish year of my childhood was seventh grade. Without getting into all the details, let's just say it took me a little extra time to board the proper hygiene train, and my peers made sure I knew about it. Luckily for me, back in 1998, Instagram and TikTok were not a thing. Nobody, besides the people who were present to witness it, will ever see the worst of my adolescence, which is a luxury young people in 2023 do not have. The internet has totally changed what it means to be a kid. People you don't know are gonna have seen your picture. And it really used to be a generation ago, only a child star would have that. And now like all kids, like one of my wake up calls was my kid getting recognized in the city where we don't live. And I am not a celebrity mom by any means. So it was like, whoa, this is really not cool. This is Devorah Heitner. She's an author and speaker based in the Chicago area. And she has a PhD in media technology and society, which definitely plucked at the social scientist in me. Her latest book is called Growing Up in Public, Coming of Age in a Digital World. We've all seen viral videos of people like falling into a fountain at at the mall, right? Or something like that. So there's that worry of like, oh my gosh, if I do something silly or, or stupid or even worse than that, will it be shared widely? Will I never be able to escape it? Will it literally become the thing that I'm known for? We all made mistakes as kids. We still making mistakes. And some of us might've caused real harm, but I know I got to learn from my missteps without a viral YouTube video following me forever. Now, I don't have children, but I do have a godson and some other young people in my life. So I wanted to understand what it means to grow up in public, starting with just how trackable we all are these days. Think about location tracking. Our parents couldn't do that, right? At the most, if you you know <laughs> no. had a lot of friends and family, they could like call around and be like, is she at your house? Yes. But they couldn't track us. And I think the fact that they can means a lot of parents feel like they should And I have questions about whether that's actually good for kids or if it's good for kids to be able to know that they should be honest with their parents about where they are, but also they might not need to create a data trail of every stop they make. You know, if my kid stops on the way home from school at the library, as long as he's home on time or lets me know he's running late, I don't need him to tell me what he's doing. I don't need that time to be accounted for. And I think it creates a false sense that we know what's going on. Mm. Frankly, your kid could be vaping in the bathroom at the library, or they could be studying with friends, <laughs> or they could just be hanging around. But you, you don't want to be tracking them even more to know exactly what they're doing. So knowing where your kid is doesn't even necessarily tell you they're making good choices. And if you find out, as one of the moms I wrote about did, that your kid is, say, in a relationship, she found out her 17-year-old was dating someone by tracking him. Mm-hmm. Is that how you wanted to find out? Why don't you wait till he tells you? Yeah. That's interesting. Um, In this context of tracking, you talk about this concept of mentoring versus monitoring when it comes to dealing with children growing up in public. Can you get into that a little bit? Yeah, I think a lot of us, again, are compelled. Like there's all these apps that you can use to monitor what your kids are saying online, where they go. And that can be part of mentoring. But I think if you just use those apps and feel like, okay, I'm I'm done here. We're good. I've, I've put the app on their phone. They're safe you're missing those crucial conversations. You've got to still talk to your kids about what to do if they see someone being really mean, you know, on a group text, or if they get a mean comment on their YouTube, or how to navigate feeling left out when they're looking at Snapchat, Mm -hmm. uh, how to turn their location off on their phone if they don't want to be tracked. 
All of those things are important. And if you just use monitoring, you're going to maybe catch your kid doing the wrong things, but you're not going to teach them how to do the right things. So we need to just be chatting with our kids all the time. And part of the challenge is we're thumbing out our lives in front of children and we're not teaching them like, oh, I, I need to make this difficult decision about how to give somebody hard news. I better talk to them in person because this is more of an in-person conversation, for example, or I'm dealing with a conversation about a misunderstanding. I better talk this out in a call. It's really hard to kind of get a text message about a misunderstanding. Mm. Once people have hurt feelings, it's hard to bring that back into a good place. Mm -hmm. And we need to teach our kids that stuff. And there's no app that's going to teach your kids this stuff. Yeah. It has to be conversations, including helping them repair, frankly, when they mess up, which is going to be part of growing up. And so I'm not saying no monitoring ever could be part of mentoring. Sometimes sitting down with, maybe you have a new texter who's 11 or 12, I would absolutely sit down with them and look at some of their texts, but I would do it with them. I, what I wouldn't do is covertly monitor and then catch them doing the wrong thing and then be like, surprise, I caught you. Mm, yeah. It's a sort of preventative kind of thing too, where it sounds like, where it's just like, do the mentoring, set up your young person, the child in your life, and then, you know, wait for them to come to you if there's an issue that you need to monitor. A hundred percent. And if you're lucky, like you were mentioning that you have a godchild, like a lot of our children have adults in their lives that are not us, that are not the parents. And letting them know that those are safe people to talk to as well. Say you're in a jam, you know, maybe you don't want to tell your parents, like talking to your kids about, okay, who can you talk to if there's a situation in your life, a friend situation, a romantic situation, any kind of thing. And really think about with them, like, who are the other safe adults that we trust? Um, and also, if you are in a texting relationship with a kid in your life that's not your own kid, you can give feedback, you know, like you can be like, hey, I love you, but it's a little rude when you go without saying goodbye or whatever. Yeah. You know, we can all think about like, it, if it takes a village, then like be the village, because a lot of us are thumbing out our lives again in front of kids and we're not teaching them how to communicate. When I was a professor, I would sometimes let my students know, hey, that email was like kind of rude. Like you need to write to me in a different way. I don't need it to be flowery, but you need to address <laughs> me with a salutation. You need to sign off with your name, oh, you know, and, and, and this is how sure. you're going to get what you want. And especially yes. as a college professor, I was like, I'm the last stop before you're in the job market. If you're writing these emails and you think you're going to get a job with an email like this, like I have news for you. <laughs> and I think there's a way to be you know, loving in that, in, in that helping. But if we see things, you know, it's like, if you see something, say something, if you see a 15 year old or a 17 year old or a 12 year old doing something online where you're like, whoa, I have questions about that. If you know that kid, just let them know. Cause I mean, mm. a lot of times kids just don't know better. It's mm -hmm. not that they're trying to be rude or whatever. They just maybe haven't had a lot of communication experience. Yeah. Speaking of uh, young people uh, sharing online, we think a lot about what they share and not so much about what we share about children <laughs> online. Parents um, and, and family members specifically, can you define this word sharenting and why and how parents should be more intentional about it? Yeah. And sharenting is a great word that I did not coin, I have to admit, but it is when parents share either videos, photos, or news about their kids. And sometimes kids are okay with it, but a lot of kids find it very cringy and will tell me, you know, I'll ask kids, have your parents ever shared something that you wish they hadn't? And a ton of kids will raise their hands, like most of the kids in the room. And when I speak at schools, will be like, oh yeah, my parents, you know, and it'll be Instagram, Facebook, whatever. 
And it, it's anything from parents sharing news about their kids to videos of them like playing violin or doing gymnastics where kids find that kind of cringy or even just hanging around the house in their PJs. And think about if you're hanging around at home in your PJs and your partner or your roommate, you know, like took a picture of you and put it on the internet without <laughs> checking with you. Like, how would that be? You might be like, dude, I was at home just hanging out. Yeah. You didn't ask me if you could put me on with my fuzzy slippers and my hair not done yet. You didn't check <laughs> and it wasn't okay. And that's how your fourth grader feels because they get on the bus and somebody's going to be like, nice Star Wars PJs. Yeah. And you don't know. You don't want to interfere with your kids like school bus cred. Mm. So don't do it. Check. You know, always ask your kid. Be, if you don't know if it's okay to share it out, ask your kids. You want them to know it's cool to have boundaries. And you want them to know when I post my friends, I should be asking permission. So it really reinforces mm. that sense of consent and those boundaries and it really goes a long way and then if somebody down the road asks them for like a nude picture they also know hey it's okay to have boundaries i can just be like nope you actually talk to a lot of young people and get their opinions firsthand um in in a lot of the writing that you do and I wanted to know, in what areas did their experiences as young people differ from assumptions you heard from their parents? A lot of parents feel like kids are oversharing about themselves and telling the world things that are sort of too personal. And when I talk to kids, I realized kids are actually on the front lines of pushing back on stigmatized experiences. So I mm. talked to some young people who were involved in talking about for example, experiences of racial microaggressions and harm that they experienced. And a lot of parents were like, it's good that you want to do activism, but you don't want to expose yourself and your own personal experiences. That makes you vulnerable. Or kids coming out about LGBTQ plus identities and parents are like, whoa, whoa, when you, I, I'm, I support you, but if you put that on the internet, that's, that's hard and like you're still so young. Are you sure you want to be vulnerable that way? I think for some parents, there's also that sense of like, well, maybe you're still going to change your mind or maybe you don't <laughs> really identify this way. Or, right. And so there's but there's that sense of like, but it's permanent if you tell the world. Right. And I think, you know, that's that's a, a level of internalized oppression for parents where they don't even realize maybe mm -hmm. like they're saying they're being supportive, but then they're like secretly hoping their kid is <laughs> going through a phase. Right. Yeah. So I think that's that's really tricky. And what I want to say to those parents is kids are changing the world and they are often thinking very hard about what they share. They're not sharing something like their identity or their experience of survivorship lightly. You mm. know, they're putting it out there with intention. And I think we have to recognize that kids are changing the world with that sharing. And, you know, I wrote about this a little bit for the Washington Post a couple of weeks ago. And I, I talked to a kid who had come out on Instagram. And what she said is, it was convenient for me. It made sense for me. Like the world needs to know I don't need to put it on TikTok or Twitter because that's a place where I might get more hate. Mm. But on Instagram, where most of the people see it are friends or friends of friends, mm -hmm. it's easier than for me than coming out every day. I don't need to go up to 50 people at school and be like, hi, I'm a lesbian. Hi, I'm a lesbian. <laughs> like I just want it to be on my Insta and then people can know. And that's great. And and like sort of problem solved, right? Yeah. Um. This is really making me think about sexting. Um, this is where a lot of that conversation about identity came up in the book. Um, depending on your sexual orientation or your gender identity, you may have a different experience with sexting. Um, and I wanted to hear you talk about 
some of the ways that those specific identities um, deal with it differently. Yeah, because so much of the dynamic and conversation around sexting is this sort of cis boy girl you know, dynamic and it's a power dynamic where sexism, you know, gets leverage. And that that's a very real thing, right? Mm-hmm. I'm not going to say that that's not happening. But when we talk to the queer kids and I, I, one of the most moving reviews of the book I got was from a queer parent who was like, thank you for having a section in the sexting chapter that said, what about the queer kids? Because mm-hmm. it is like, there's so many kids who are identifying in the LGBTQ plus spectrum. And this whole conversation kind of leaves them out often. One of, one of the things that I learned from the research um, there's a great study about gay boys and, and gay and bisexual boys in particular in high school on how they're using sexting and sending nudes. And one of the things those researchers heard from these kids was this is appearance validation and we don't get appearance validation. In other words, mm. you know, even even the grooviest high school in the world that like really has a great, you know, GSA saying you can be out and you can be safe. There might be like whatever, five or six other gay boys, you know, I'm just making up a number, but like a, like a small number, you're not going to get affirmed in your appearance in the same way that straight cis kids are getting affirmed every day, Mm. potentially. I think a lot of adolescents want that appearance validation of like, someone thinks I'm cute and sending a nude can be a way of getting that. Mm. And I think as parents were like, whoa, whoa, I really want you to get that another way because of the privacy and social and legal risks of sending nudes. And I hear that, like I have a 14 year old, you know, and I would counsel any 14 year old to think very hard about the risks of sending nudes. I want to be clear that the risks may outweigh the the benefits and the fun of it, uh-huh. but we have to, as parents, have empathy for what the perceived benefit is and what the fun is and what the excitement is. And some of it is a parent's validation and being sort of part of the, the pro, you know, part of the experience that they might imagine other kids are having. Some of it is also about flirting, about edginess, about, mm-hmm. you know, taking a relationship to the next level. There's a lot of reasons kids might do this, uh, but some of them we might be less likely to think about because as adults, we're like so focused on the risks. Yeah. As you've been looking at all of this over the years, in the grand scheme of things, would you say that young people, growing up in public as they are, are actually more vulnerable than they were, say, 30, 50 years ago? That's such a tough question, because I think our kids are more vulnerable because the world is in a really bad place and right now. And I'm, I'm very concerned about climate change escalating access to guns, yeah. school shootings. So there, there's a lot of things that I think we can mm. worry about for our kids. Um, I think our kids are both more vulnerable in some ways and more surveilled in some ways, and also more powerful because they can reach mm. community. I mean, I interviewed Catlin Savato and some other young activists. Catlin is in Chicago and doing incredible activism in the Chicago public schools. And I think the platform she found on Twitter would have been unthinkable. And so, yes, we saw young people, you know, active in, for example, the civil rights movement, including middle school and high school students in the middle part of the 20th century. So I'm not saying there's no precedent for children to be activists, mm-hmm. but I think for kids to even, as I talk about in the book, like learn from other activists, We I saw kids doing um, Title IX activism around sexual assault and sexual harassment in schools where they would learn about other activists in their state and connect with them and immediately be able to learn from them and connect. And I think those kinds of opportunities were much more difficult, Mm. right? Like it would have been much harder for you to immediately connect with another activist in another city, you know, 50 years ago than it is now. And so in that way, I think kids' voices are being heard and social media is a platform for young people, whether it's on climate, whether it's on doing anti-racist work, 
you know, the kids in Chicago I talked to were trying to get cops out of school and mental health services into schools. And those are conversations happening in cities all over the country and young people are very involved. I think that's really an amazing use of social media, but are kids then more vulnerable to being criminalized? Are they more vulnerable to, with facial Ugh. recognition, yeah. getting arrested after a protest, you know, things like that. And that's terrifying. I think we all should be thinking about the privacy implications of the surveillance tech that's happening right now. Devora Heitner is the author of Growing Up in Public, Coming of Age in a Digital World. Devora, thank you. Thank you. Growing Up in Public is out now. And that's it for today. Thank you to Justin Bull and Sarah Stark for producing The Rundown and to Ariel Van Clee for editing the show. Our theme music is by Louis Weeks. The Rundown is produced by WBEZ Chicago and is a part of the NPR Network. And we love hearing from you. Email us with your thoughts, questions, and what you want to hear on The Rundown. You can email us at therundownpod at wbez.org. I'm Erin Allen. Thank you for listening. Have a lovely weekend. I'll talk to you on Monday.